The internet is dependent on the domain name system, which is the collection of protocols that allows domain names to be resolved into IP addresses. As we saw recently with the cyber attacks against Dyn, attacks directed against DNS servers can have dramatic knock-on effects. Cricket Liu is Chief DNS Architect and Senior Fellow at the networking company Infoblox. We discussed some of the security challenges facing DNS and why such internet scale modifications to it would be daunting. You know, thank you for joining us, Cricket. Thanks very much for having me, Jeremy. Given your expertise in DNS, I thought I would uh, call out a tweet that you liked the other day that was written by Dan Kaminsky, of course, who've done some famous security research into DNS. And he wrote that DNS sucks and then the other person would say, and what do you want to replace with it? And then he wrote, and that's when the ninja smoke bombs come out, whoosh. So the, the, the sort of theme of that tweet is that a lot of people really hate DNS. And given your expertise in this area, why do you think that is? Well, I, I actually think that most people don't even know anything about DNS. But there, there's certainly a segment of the technical population that thinks wow, DNS is really old. It should just be rewritten from the ground up and replaced with something newer and better and shinier. And <laughs> I think that Dan's point is basically, look, um, there are, first of all, a tremendous number of implementations of DNS out there. And so anything that you come up with has to deal with probably uh, these days, hundreds of millions, billions, probably safely billions of implementations of DNS stub resolvers that think they know how to send a query and uh, and get a response back and, and unmarshal that response. There are hundreds of thousands, millions of, of name servers out there. So whatever you come up with has to be <laughs> backwards compatible with DNS, which is no tall order. I think it's, it's really easy to say, well, yeah, we can, we can fix all of DNS's shortcomings if we just start over. But that if we just start over is, is such a big if that uh, <laughs> those of us who have, who have sort of danced with the IETF for a while despair of ever trying it. And when they talk about refer, uh, refer to sort of replacing DNS, are they talking about a rewrite of the fundamental protocols, or are they talking of a more rewriting the software that implements those protocols? Um, they're talking about rewriting the protocols, I think, in most cases. The the implementations of DNS get rewritten all the time. We have new recursive name servers. In fact, there's sort of a blossoming of recursive name server implementations now. We've got Unbound from NLNet Labs, which is a really good fast recursive. We've got PowerDNS and Knot and uh, lots of lots of cool stuff. Um, core DNS within the, the Docker microservices space. We've got a bunch of different authoritative name server implement, implementations like NSD. It's a protocol that sometimes causes us fits because uh, it really wasn't designed with security in mind and a lot of the somewhat meager security features that we have now <laughs> have uh, have had to be crafted onto it. So I think that they're looking at starting over with the protocol and uh, building in security from the get-go. And still, because DNS is one of these fundamental things that like everything has to use it, I know you noted in a, in a presentation you did recently that you know malware uses DNS. Why is DNS such an attractive target then for hackers? Well, um, DNS is, is certainly a critical service. If, if somebody manages to successfully, for example, DDoS your uh, external authoritative name servers, the ones that advertise your DNS data to the rest of the internet, they effectively knock you off the internet. People can't reach your 
web servers that can't send you electronic mail, anything that you might make available to the internet becomes unreachable. So they're high profile targets, they're high value targets, and they're also resources that you can't hide in any way. They're effectively naming servers, so everyone has to be able to find them. They have to be uh, advertised publicly, which means that they're sort of obvious targets. It's a, a simple matter of sending some DNS queries to figure out your list of, of authoritative name servers that yeah. can be targeted. Yeah. And then we've seen in the last couple of weeks, there was a very large DDoS attack against Dyne, which is uh, one of a handful of companies that provide outsourced DNS management to other companies. And those attacks had really reached a new level of intensity because of the uh, use of hacked IoT devices such as DVRs. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that attack is going to be mean ongoing trouble for DNS providers, or do you think that this will get under control soon? Well, I, I think unfortunately it's going to mean ongoing trouble for everybody, <laughs> not just not just DNS hosting providers. The Mirai botnet and the other uh, IoT botnets that are out there represent a real threat to the internet. They're not going away. Uh, gradually, we may see some winnowing down of the numbers of IoT devices in the botnets as ISPs take action against them. In the Dyn attack, we believe that they didn't use any sort of um, source IP address spoofing. So we actually have a list of the IP address of the IP addresses of these devices used in the attack. But it's a laborious process to have ISPs go and, and knock them off the uh, the internet, or to uh, have them upgraded so they no longer have these uh, these vulnerabilities. Yeah. So I think that basically what this means is <laughs> we're going to have some very very large botnets out there capable of launching really withering DDoS attacks uh, for the time being. Mm -hmm. And those can be turned, of course, on, on anything. Could be, uh, could be a, a DNS hosting provider like Dyn, or it could be um, a, a web service. It could be any number of critical services around the Internet. I spoke with a source at a very large networking company, and he said he was kind of bored with DDoS attacks. He's like, this problem has been solved. And I was kind of like, well, well, wait, why are we still seeing it? Basically, he said that, you know, the tools, the mitigations are out there companies and organizations can use. The problem is, like, they're not using them or they're not at the capacity that they need to be to absorb, you know, a very large DDoS attack because he said that, DDoS is about mitigation. You know, it's very hard to stop the actual bots that are doing the attack. So do you think that a lot of DNS providers, in light of what happened with Dyne, are going to be putting in massive redundancy schemes to help avoid, I guess, being caught off guard? Well, uh, first of all, I think I'd, I'd beg to differ a little bit <laughs> with whomever you spoke with. It's, it's very difficult to successfully mitigate an attack of the magnitude that um, that Tyne saw. It's not just a matter of throwing bandwidth at the problem. Clever attackers can craft queries that are indistinguishable from legitimate queries, which means you got to answer them. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you if you've got half a million compromised IP connected CCTVs in your botnet, you can generate a tremendous stream of uh, of DNS queries. And because of the business you're in, you just have to you just have to answer those. I do think that in the wake of the attack against Dyn, everybody who's in the DNS hosting business is is looking at their DDoS mitigation strategies. They're trying to figure out, okay, where 
where am I going to balance between over-provisioning, uh, just keeping lots and lots of, lots of capacity on hand, and having some sort of intelligent mitigation service that tries to look at uh, the number of concurrent queries coming from a particular network, for example, and rate limiting that. Are there any things that could be done with the protocol, any tweaks or anything that could help make defending against this kind of attack easier? <laughs> well, interestingly, some of the trends within DNS have been working kind of in the opposite direction. We've been looking at how to protect DNS data from snooping because of uh, sort of pervasive eavesdropping that, uh, that <laughs> states are doing these days. Um, a lot of the efforts within the ITS have been looking at things like, hey, can we send DNS queries and responses over TLS yeah. uh, or DTLS? In other words, an, an encrypted transport. And those sorts of things make individual uh, DNS transactions, queries, and responses more expensive <laughs> and have the probably un unintended effect of making it even easier to, uh, to DDoS name servers. Another very large project to strengthen the security around DNSSEC has been underway for several or uh, has been underway for several years, and that's called DNSSEC, where the DNS records are cryptographically signed, and then those signatures are verified to ensure that the entries are accurate. What are you seeing as far as any trends in DNSSEC, and it, does it look like more people who are running DNS systems are embracing it? Well. It did take DNSSEC a long time to uh, to catch on um, for a number of reasons. The uh, protocol extensions were kind of a moving target for a long time. We started in the 90s working on DNSSEC, uh, and things didn't sort of calm down with respect to the, the development of the protocol extension until uh, well after 2000, in fact, the mid-2000s. At this point, pretty much all of the big top-level zones are signed. So the root zone is signed, the comm zone is signed, net and org, um, a very large number of country code top-level domains like UK and NZ and AU and things like that. I think those are all signed. So, so you're in good shape there at those sort of far northern reaches of the, uh, of the Internet's namespace. But below that, adoption varies quite a bit. There are some uh, top-level zones where adoption is, is really high, um, in Sweden, .se, uh, adoption is quite high because Sweden got started very early. In the Netherlands, .nl, it's, it's very high. Uh, the Dutch came up with a really, a really cool idea, I think, which was they wanted to encourage people to, uh, to use DNSSEC, but the people who run .nl actually don't have any direct relationship with the people who register. They use a system of registrars like Tom and Ned and Ord do. They have to go through a registrar. So they didn't have any direct lever to encourage people to register. So what they did is they decreased the wholesale price for registration of a, a subzone of NL that was signed using DNSX. So okay. maybe it's five euro a year to register uh, foo.nl if foo.nl is signed and it's six if it's not signed. So they use market forces to encourage people to, uh, uh, to sign those subzones. Mm -hmm. But if you look under the big uh, generic top-level domains, ComNet and Org, uh, the last time we did a survey, the, the fraction of subzones of ComNet and Org that are, are signed using DNSSEC is a tiny, tiny fraction of, of 1%. Um, it's, it's, really, it's really minuscule. Um, the one thing I will say that I have seen recently is um, I've seen some interest in DNSSEC from some U.S. banks 
who say that the FFIEC auditors who are coming through and, and doing these financial industry audits of their, their banks are looking to see whether their external facing zones are signed using DNSX. So that's compelling them to sign those zones. Thank you for joining us, Cricket. Thanks very much, Jeremy. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Jeremy Kirk.